This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. This week's Spotlight, we're going to be talking about a couple different things. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Hi, this is Jen from Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, and we're here today with a sex spotlight. Spotlight on sex, sorry. <laughs> Couldn't go either way, shall we say that. Jen, it's Lynn here, and I'm looking forward to this subject. It's kind of an interesting one. Yeah, it's something different than what we've talked about before. So I, I like that we're adding in new subjects. So we're looking at an article today, and I think that's a jumping off point. But I think we're going to explore a lot of different aspects around the concept of sugar dating, which is a term that I learned recently. I had heard of sugar daddies and sugar babies, but I didn't know that there was a term um, called sugar dating. So it's really looking at this article is called Sweetening the Deal, Dating for Compensation in the Digital Age, and it's by Kavita Ilona Nair. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, um, but we can definitely link to the article. And so basically what the article is looking at is what is going on in terms of this exchange and what does it mean to engage in sugar dating? And what got me interested in this topic in the first place was that, as you know, I work with a lot of teenagers and one of the big things was that this idea kept coming up. I had a lot more clients talking about it in terms of either them wanting to pursue it for themselves or them wanting to find a sugar daddy and wanting to be a sugar baby or also just hearing about it from friends and schoolmates who were already engaging in this process. And this was something new that I haven't encountered in my practices before. So, of course, being me, I had to research it. <laughs> and that's a good thing about you, Jen, that this, this is a good topic. And as we thought about it together, we really talked about it, it, it hits so many aspects of our patients. Yeah. There's the young teenagers and those in their 20s. And, and most parents are probably out there thinking, I can't believe my child would really want this. But mm -hmm. uh, our patients are really talking about aspects of this and they're aware of it. I also see it at an older age spectrum where many sex workers are kind of moving out of traditional sex work and they're looking for two or three sugar daddies or sugar mamas to support their activities here in the Bay Area. And I should say this is primarily sugar daddies, so it's women sex workers looking for this. But I do know of male sex workers in the same position. So they are phasing into this kind of a new way of, of running their sexuality. And the author of this paper really implies that there's kind of three groups, the romantic love, the sex worker group, and then the, the sugar babies and daddies and mamas are all kind of in the middle group. 
I'd argue that there's so many different reasons by why people have sex, and there's different components of everything and everything we do. So, uh, but I think it's interesting to look at this component, which is kind of the the sugar baby daddy mama model, which has some commodification and compensation, some emotional attachment, and a lot of other things kind of wrapped into it. Yeah, I think what it brings up is it's obviously a transaction, but how people look at that transition transaction really depends on their own perspective and what it is that they're wanting. So with the teen girls that I was working with who have brought this up, they're looking at it as a way to kind of fund a lifestyle that they want. They want to be able to have more money so that they can buy makeup, so that they can go out to eat with friends, and it's not really seen in a very sexual context, which is a challenge for me because the context in which I've heard of the terms sugar baby and sugar daddy, it's always been a more explicitly sexual exchange. And so I wonder about how this concept is even shifting or whether it is shifting among this population. And with younger people, we wonder about what's their understanding of it, really. Right. It's out there in the lingo. This actually came out of research with the sugar sugar baby blog kind of phenomena that's out there, so people can blog about it. But how do young people really understand this? And I do know from my years of doing sex research that younger people experiment with different things. And they're really looking at different areas, different questions. They try different things out. So I think maybe we're seeing something evolving with younger people uh, around this area with the online world. I, I do know, too, that um, you know some of these blog sites and sites young people have set up, they get paid for certain services they provide. So that's a, that's a part of it. Right. And so I wonder about what those services exchanged here are. And because it's often seen in this sexual context and in the context of this article, she talks about it as kind of a form of sex work that is different than previous sex work, but she still categorizes it as sex work. And the teens that I'm working with are not looking at it as a sexual exchange at all. And I I just have questions about that. Well, when you're developing your sexual identity and teens are in that process, you're kind of at the the very beginning of it for most of them. And mm-hmm. I think you don't really have a context to put it in. Um, with the older patients that I'm working with, I think um, many of them have a lot of reasons for looking for, uh, you know, a sexual daddy or mama type concept. Uh, yeah. I mean, many want less sexual activity. They need more, you know, exchange of money and emotions and other things at that end. So there's a whole different process with that other group of people. But with younger people, maybe some of it is trying on all kinds of things, testing them out. Mm -hmm. I also wonder, too, if there's sort of this, this branching effect where maybe for some people the, the sugar dating is a form of sexual sexuality involved interaction and Mm -hmm. it's kind of being parceled out in these different ways because there's obviously an exchange of money but what each person is getting 
isn't as clear. I think two younger people are often looking for validation of their sexuality and money, all kind gifts that could represent that with not really understanding the other implications. Yeah. You know, so uh, I th- the younger patients I've worked with who are kind of proud that they've gotten money or other things from a lover, maybe older lover. Right. You know, they're very happy about this. This has happened, shows how great it is and they are and all of that. And again, I think they're just developing the way they think about all of this. It also brings up something you were talking about before we started recording, which is You know, there are relationships where people are married or they are just dating and they still reflect this type of transactional interaction. So how different is it really from those types of relationships? One of the male patients I work with, it's very kind of discreet that if he uh, brings home a certain amount of money through a transaction at work, he receives sexual activity from his his female partner's wife really and it's that discreet and sex only happens in this commodification way Mm -hmm. and he's upset about this naturally or maybe not naturally but he is and how we work together to change that model uh to really help him see it differently but it's it's a part of a long-term marriage with this uh gentleman and Mm -hmm. really how to help him see it and change it is important part of our work. Because I wonder about that part too, where, as you said, in in this, in the scenario you're describing with this older man, it's not necessarily something he wanted or chose to engage in. Whereas maybe in some ways having this sugar dating, it makes it more explicit in terms of what it is. And so it's at least defined there. He's actually looked up some of these articles on sugar daddies because oh, okay. he, he kind of sees himself that way inadvertently. Yeah. And so he's thinking about how can he expand his knowledge of this and maybe talk with his wife about it. She denies that he only gets sex in return for providing, mm-hmm. but it's clear that that's been the pattern over years. Yeah, so, it's a long standing yeah, pattern. Yeah, so how do you really work it and how do you? get people to look at that idea and even consider it. Yeah, because I think, again, it, it kind of comes back to the consent piece, right? Like, in a way, he's been roped into this engagement that he didn't really sign up for. And so I wonder about, you know, maybe it's better that people know, okay, I want to be a sugar daddy, I'm choosing this, or I want to be a sugar baby, I'm choosing this. And it's really about helping people understand what it is that they're actually signing up for. And maybe for all of us to know that in our sexual activities with others, there is a commodification part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be that the partner did something really nice for us, so we're going to respond with this in turn. Mm-hmm. You know, it may not be a direct money exchange, money for sex and sex for money. Right. But it is an exchange, really, of different commodities and how that works, and that that plays a piece in a lot of human interaction. Well, what it reminds me of is I know early on my husband and I, back then we were just boyfriend and girlfriend, but we were talking about when people use sex or withholding sex as a form of punishment and how that impacts relationships. 
and that it makes it more of a commodification rather than something that is just kind of shared freely with someone. And it, it was, it brought up a lot of different perspectives to be able to talk about that too, I thought was really powerful. And for our listeners out there, sex can be used either as a punishment or a reward. reward. We're really talking about the two types of reinforcement. But both of these are involved in making something a commodity. Right. Whether you go either way. And instead of a free exchange and maybe helping listeners to think about what a free exchange would be that would not have this aspect to it. Though I think it's kind of there in all sexual exchanges. Well, that's what I'm saying is I I think we have to recognize that there is some level of exchange, but you Mm -hmm. also have to figure out what are your boundaries around what those limits are. And that's what we were talking about in terms of, you know, using sex as a reward and punishment explicitly was very off the table for us because it changed the way we felt about our sexual engagements. You're, you're talking about you and your partner. Me and my and partner. That, exactly. Yeah. And so when that, we talked yeah. about it, we were talking about how there is a piece where it is an exchange. You know, like if you did something nice for me, maybe I will feel more connected to you and want to have sex. But that, be, but that explicitly saying like, you didn't do this, so I'm not going to have sex with you was not something that we wanted to have be a part of our relationship. Right. And that has almost a more kind of, and I hate to use any lingo from our field, but passive aggressive stance to it. Yes, absolutely. Instead of that it's an expressed opinion, you know, this is commodities are part of all of our sexual exchange. We're going to exchange happiness here and there and that kind of thing and making it very explicit. I think people do often hold back. They attempt to wrench something out of somebody sexually. Yeah. And that's very, very destructive. You know, and I see that with the gentleman that we talked about earlier, because he he loves his wife, but he doesn't really know how to deal with this part of her. Right. That sees sex so much in this particular way. It's really very hard. Well, it seems to be interfering with a piece of sexuality, which is the connection emotional piece. I mean, it's making him feel like an ATM in some ways. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, he's not exactly said that, but he certainly does feel like his own emotional expression of sexuality is gone. You know, that he can't, he wants to feel that way. But uh, he really, it, it shortens his own affective response to her. And that's what really bothers him, you know, is that when you're in an exchange with somebody who sees it entirely as a commodification, you feel like the emotional part is being downgraded or lost, really, in all of this. And I love that you're sharing that, too, because I think there is a piece where we live in a society where men aren't necessarily allowed to show that they care or want that piece. And and so he's obviously engaging in sex with his wife in this certain relational way, but it's not the type of relation that he wants. He actually wants to be able to have it be about the emotional connection and not just about him bringing home money. Exactly. And I think it's very important to see all people that way as maybe with a capacity for that. So it brings us back to all of us have a little bit of sugar daddy, sugar mama in our relationships. But when it takes on a large frame of that, 
it alters the other aspects of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes me back to I had a relationship before my husband where uh, the the boy, the man I was dating, he was unemployed at the time and I was working. So it became a very sort of transactional relationship in this way because whenever I wanted to do something, I also had to pay for him in order for him to be able to do it. And what I found interesting about that was that in the beginning, I was fine with it because I wanted like his companionship. But because it wasn't something that I had explicitly wanted, I I had a lot of resentment about that, the way our relationship shifted and whether or not he was looking for a job and just all these other components that I hadn't considered before because it hadn't been so unequal. And my question would be, it sounds like you came to realize that. Were you able to talk about that with him some and... Or was that always difficult? That was part of what made our relationship so challenging was that I wasn't able to bring up these things. And so eventually I did break up with this person. But it took me a long time, too, to figure out what was going on for myself because it took a while to accept that this sort of relationship was happening. And what really changed things for me was we did have a conversation about what it meant to loan money to somebody and the expectations or lack of expectations placed on that. And he had a belief that once somebody had offered to support you, that that was just kind of like an open door and like that was how it was going to be forever. And that was definitely not the way I was looking at things. And so that was sort of our only conversation around it. But it really a key conversation that you're talking about. Oh, yeah. When you finally talk about what people's underlying beliefs are. Right. About what we get from each other in intimate relationships. Is it open support for life when it starts that way? Or does it go back and forth, really, with one providing, you know, something at this point, And then a year or two later, another providing the same thing. It's really more of an exchange. Right. And so what that brings up tying it back into the sugar daddy or sugar mama, sugar baby situation with the sugar dating, I I think it's it's very enlightening to read about what it is that these people are saying they are looking for. Because I think there are definitely ways that it can work and it's it's something that is very explicit and clear and I think that is very important. I I think it's also brings up issues, though, around the power dynamics and whether people are signing up for things that they understand for themselves. And that is definitely a concern that I have when I'm working with my teen clients in particular. And for me, with the older clients who are really struggling with these issues, brings us back to one of our, our favorite parts of all of this. It's important to have these conversations you know, whether we're in relationships or on the air like this. So thank you, Jen, for this topic and really for bringing it up. Yeah, thank you, Lynn. Come on. Let's talk about sex.